Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Sheck. At this point, millions of words have been written about Donald Trump. But one thing always seems certain with Trump, unlike the warnings in the securities industry, past performance is absolutely an indication of future returns. So what exactly do those past performances look like? Long before campaign 2016 started, Trump telegraphed pretty much everything we're seeing today, even 10 years ago. Our guest journalist, Timothy O'Brien, was granted unfettered access to Trump only to wind up in court. Timothy O'Brien is the executive editor of Bloomberg View. He was previously the executive editor of the Huffington Post, where he won a Pulitzer Prize. Prior to that, he was the Sunday business editor and a reporter at the New York Times. Ten years ago, he wrote a book entitled Trump Nation. The book has just been re-released, and it is my pleasure to welcome Timothy O'Brien back to this program. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Greetings, Jeff. It's, it's good to be here. I, I think the last time we spoke on the radio, at least, was uh, 10 years ago, more it, or less. Indeed. It's like the book has been re-released. Trump has been re-released. And, you're, and, you're like the Energizer Bunny of, of talk radio. No one stops you. <laughs> That's it. One of the things that is so remarkable about this story, I mean, among many things, is that all of the things that we're seeing about Trump, all of the things that that the country is kind of discovering day by day, were out there to be seen 10 years ago. None of this is new. I think it's true. I I mean, I don't know, though. We always take it for granted um, that that I think, you know, others in in, in our in the great community of America, pay attention to as much of the things as we do and, and, and kind of dig in and are curious about the same things we are. And the reality is there's any number of people who are in the public spotlight who've never really had their record examined and, and, and no one's ever really looked deeply about whether or not that record comports with their statements or their capabilities. And I think that's probably most cases as it should be, uh, until you get into something like the presidency where someone's background really matters and then suddenly people start paying attention. And, and certainly 10 years ago, Donald Trump was not a viable presidential contender. One of the things that, that, that is also part and parcel of this is this consistency in the way that both fantasy and reality blend together in everything about Trump. Absolutely. I mean, I think in a way, you know, the... the the presidential campaign has has elements of The Apprentice about it. Remember when The Apprentice, be, you know, debuted in I think 2004 and and went on to you know several seasons of success as a reality TV show. The guiding kind of ethos of that of that show was that Donald Trump was an incredible entrepreneur and businessman. And as an incredible entrepreneur and businessman, he was going to take a bunch of young things along with him and, and teach them how to become better business people. And, and this was at a time when um, he was stewarding uh, a publicly traded casino enterprise that had never been profitable for about a decade. Um, he had put it through four bankruptcies. He, he essentially had been a managerial disaster on the casino front, simply from the fact pattern. That's not even a matter of opinion. Just the numbers and the bankruptcy show it. Um, and then on the real estate side, he had essentially not done a major project in in New York uh, since 
the late 1980s that he could authentically call his own because he had gorged on so much debt and, and really blew up the little mini empire he had been assembling in the late 80s. So you come to The Apprentice with someone who had had, um, you know, a, a, a sort of a flame out in the real estate sphere, had not been an effective uh, manager of a publicly traded casino company, and was really making his money as a golf course developer, a reality TV star, and, and a sort of human shingle who licensed his name for everything from mattresses to real estate projects to vodka to underwear. And um, hardly the template for, uh, that, that we would use to generally to uh, describe or define a great entrepreneur and businessman in the, in the vein of John Rockefeller or Henry Ford or, or Steve Jobs. And, and yet he was promoted as such as, as the guiding light of The Apprentice. Fast forward 10 years, and he's now running a, a presidential campaign that's predicated on the idea that he's a great deal maker, and he will be an effective manager. And by virtue of that, he can get things done in Washington and on the international landscape that no one else who preceded him or can is competing with him now can do. The reality of that is all the same things still hold true. His, his career is littered with the wreckage of bad deals and, and, and business mistakes that net net outweigh um, his business successes by a fairly large margin. Um, what he is good at is he's a, a very successful self-promoter. P.T. Barnum. And he's very plain smoke, spoken, and I think those, those do accrue to him. P.T. Barnum, certainly more than an entrepreneur. Right. I, I think he's, he's, he's much more of an effective self-promoter than he is as a hands-on businessman and dealmaker. And that's, you know, that's not to take anything away from the gains he's made as a self-promoter. Also, I think... He's a survivor. You know, a lot of other people, when he flirted with personal bankruptcy in the early 1990s, he had guaranteed more than $900 million um, worth of debt personally. It threatened to, to undermine him and pull him under. He needed to borrow from his father's estate to stay afloat. Um, and, you know, really had as he had always benefited from the fact that he was born to a very wealthy and successful father and that helped launch him in his own career. Nonetheless, he was a survivor. He got through a very difficult period that other people might not have gotten through, um, to his credit. Um, and, and then found a path, uh, I think around self promotion and grandstanding that's made him central to reality television and reality presidential campaign. The part of that that is more concerning beyond the self-promoting aspect is what one psychiatrist once called a triad of evil, which was narcissism, psychopathy, and greed, which seemed to all three be so much a part of his personality in, in pretty potentially negative ways. Well, I can't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and I'm not in his head, but I, I think he is very self-absorbed um and and i think he thrives um in in some ways one could describe it narcissistically around being in the spotlight i think he relishes being 
paid attention to and you see it in the in the in the town hall speeches he and convocations he's done on the campaign trail i think he he thrives in the spotlight and it's one of the reasons he's a more magnetic personality than others like uh jeb bush or john Kasich, who um arguably have you know assembled managerial track records in the public sector that far outstrip donald trump's record but I don't think either one of them could be described as magnetic personalities and, and they've suffered from that on the campaign trail. Um, and, uh, I, I, I think he does, I think, you know, the apprentice for him was a form of Valhalla, you know, being on TV every day. I think he thinks about himself very cinematically. When I was working on my book about him, he told me that you know, he eventually went into his father's real estate business, which is how he got his start. Um, but before he made a decision to do that, he had considered the possibility of moving to Hollywood and becoming a movie producer. And he loves film and he loves the notion of being a star of his own blockbuster thriller, drama, comedy show, whatever you want to call it. And, and I think he sort of lives that way day to day. He thinks about himself cinematically he he likes to um act uh in, through grand gestures and often as we've seen sensationalist statements whether it's you know tarring john mccain's um imprisonment uh during the vietnam war um or uh uh what he said about Muslim immigrants, what he said, said about building a wall on the border with Mexico. He, he identifies flashpoints and, and then goes beyond civil debate often using either racist or, or sort of demagogic kind of language and imagery to incent people. And he's been effective at doing that. And what he gets in return is a lot of attention. And I think that that's gratifying for him. What does your reporting tell you about his real attitude towards race? Oh, you know, I, I think uh, I uh, I think trying to pin where he's down on race is complex. You know, there's people in the hip hop community, Russell Simmons, who love him. You know, I think when I was working on my book, Russell Simmons described Donald as the uh, bling bling white man. Uh, and they would go to Mar-a-Lago and, 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 and Russell and his brother and friends would hang out in the sauna there. Um, Donald had, um, fairly strong purchase over the years with, um, members of the African American entertainment community. On the other hand, um, you know, he's, he hasn't been shy about classic race baiting, uh, which I think, certainly underscored the language and the statements he made about the wall with Mexico. Um, and, and, and I think there's, there's members of the African American community who don't consider him a friend. Um, uh, and, uh, and I think he's exploited, um, the fears of the other broadly construed as a presidential candidate, Look, there's a, there's a wide sector of middle America right now that's been struggling since, and I, profoundly since the 2008 meltdown. And I think elite media and elite political organizations ignored 
or overlooked or discounted, however you want to describe it, the struggle of that class of people. And I think their anger and dissatisfaction has been expressed on the Democratic side of the aisle in support for Bernie Sanders and on the Republican side of the aisle in support for Donald Trump. I think the difference between Trump and Sanders is, um, I think Donald has chosen to use um, xenophobic and, 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 and racist imagery uh, uh, to coalesce that group around him. When he really carried the ball on the birther movement, what was that about? That was long before he was running for president. Well, that was back in, you know, in 2012. He, he um, sort of went grand mal on that with, with Obama and questioned whether Obama um, was actually a citizen of the United States and therefore did he have any claim on the presidency and and he's by the way playing that same card again with Ted Cruz in in the current campaign um, and I think uh, you know Donald Trump's peculiar genius is identifying very quickly and ruthlessly vulnerabilities around people he either considers an opponent or envies or feels competitive with or doesn't like. And he's fairly ruthless and um, cold-blooded about exploiting those in any kind of sensationalist way he can. And I think the birther movement and, and his sort of birther statements with Obama was a, a classic example of that. Um, uh, you know, he's, 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 uh, when Megyn Kelly, you know, Fox News questioned him during one of the Republican debates last fall and questioned him aggressively, you know, he later, you know, said publicly that he thought perhaps, you know, she was hostile to him because she was menstruating. Um, there's really not a, a, a line that Donald won't cross if it gets him where he thinks he wants to be. Are there any lines for him? Are there any things that you think that he will not cross, will not say, will not do? Oh, well, I think, I think that's uh, yet to be seen. I think we've clearly seen in this campaign thus far there, there isn't. And, and he's now got a long, long list of statements that would have blown up any other candidate's um, chances uh, and, and probably derailed their candidacies. And yet... Time and time again, at least during this primary season, um, Donald has been a little bit impervious to any backlash around some of the more um, unsettling or hateful or um, unpalatable things that he says. Whether or not that will stay true in a general election, however, is another matter. Does he want to win? Does he want to be president, do you think? I think he's probably as surprised as anyone that he is where he is right now. I think when he made his, you know, remember, he's done this, I, I think, at least three times before, at least twice before, I think three times before. And in and, and the prior occasions, I think it was just a faux kind of effort. Uh, it got him some publicity. It was good for his business. He liked being in the mix, but he never went very far with any of those. I think when he announced... Uh, last June that he was going to run for president uh, and and began sort of free associating during his speeches as he does during most of his speeches. He has, I think he has a few bullet points that he brings into his speech and then he just free associates off those bullet points. Um, 
And as we've seen, he doesn't really have a political platform. He's got just got a pogo stick. He goes jumping around from issue to issue. Um, but when he announced last June um, and made that statement about wanting to build a wall and it would keep out Mexicans because they're race, they're rapists and they're drug dealers and they're murderers. And that got incredible traction. I think that surprised him. I don't think he came into that speech thinking that that imagery and that statement was going to put him at the forefront of Republican voters' minds. But, and, and a lot of people, when he first said it, thought, okay, well, that's it. He's blown himself up already. And then lo and behold, what he actually had done, I don't think methodically, but what he had done was put his finger on this hot button immigration issue. And, and it's a hot button issue because working class Americans are struggling and they're fearful of a lot of things, understandably. And one of them are immigrants who might take their jobs away. And, um, and even if the facts don't add up to that being true, they have that fear. And I think as a political leader, you can either work constructively with that fear or you can exploit it. And Donald exploited it. I think he exploited it accidentally, but once he saw what he had unleashed, he thought, wow, you know, I'm getting attention. I've got traction now. I can keep going. And, and that's been really the course of his whole campaign. It came up with, you know, banning all Muslims from visiting the United States or anything in the United States. I, I think that was, um, you know, at that point, completely off the cuff. Uh, and yet he got a big response to it. And I think he's learned in the wake of these episodes that he can say um, sensationalist or controversial things, and it gives him added traction. It doesn't detract from his candidacy. But that's also because, you know, you've got a small portion of the electric voting in these, in these uh, primaries, and that may change in the general election. And finally, is what we see the real Donald Trump? Is there somebody else under there? Well, there's already, I think there's always many people behind all of us, but I think that, you know, Donald Trump is truly the P.T. Barnum of our age. He is, um, I think he's someone who was born on third base financially to a very wealthy family, but he's gone around pretending he hit a triple. And he's someone who um, overstates his academic record. He's someone who overstates his business abilities and not just overstates a little bit. He overstates it by huge amounts. He routinely exaggerates his wealth. He exaggerates his capabilities. So no, I don't think the person that, that we see on the campaign trail is, is the real Donald Trump. I think um, the person we see on the campaign trail is a cartoon version of who Donald Trump thinks he is. I guess the question is whether he's P.T. Barnum or Joe McCarthy. Maybe he's a mix of both. I think that, you know, that's for other people to decide, but he's certainly, you know, or, or Father Coughlin mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, or Huey Long. You know, I think there's been figures throughout American history who found ways to exploit new media. Father Coughlin did it with radio. Uh, Huey Long did it with radio. Joe McCarthy did it with television. And uh, and I think Donald Trump is a very effective um, navigator of social media platforms. Timothy O'Brien, his book Trump Nation has just been re-released. Tim, I thank you so much for spending time with us. It's always good talking to you, Jeff. Thank you.